Brock Hewart of uh, Brock and Salk on our sister station in Seattle, Seattle Sports 710. He joins us courtesy of Elite Sportsbook. So, Brock, you had said that you thought uh, that Jim Harbaugh, excuse yeah, Jim Harbaugh would be the uh, maybe the best guy for Russell Wilson. Well, now that Harbaugh stayed in Michigan, what's your plan B? Dan Quinn. Dan Quinn, A, because of familiarity, B, because he'll put together the kind of staff, the kind of people that, that he knows how to get the best of Russ. There's nothing, he's not going to be blindsided by anything. Um, not that Russ in 2022 was the wrestle that he worked with back in 13 and 14 and 15 and what, what have you, but he does know he is connected, and I think he would put together a tremendous staff of people that would want to come work with him uh, in Broncos country, uh, make a home here make a living here and i think he would be my plan b let me ask you what what is it about sean payton that doesn't instantly put him to the top of the list for you i i just think uh system scheme and system and now you could say hold on a second you know when drew Brees went down look what he did with Taysom hill hey look what he did with teddy bridgewater played his best football of his life with him so there's there's probably a way to convince me i also think what you're going to have to give up I mean, it's not a level playing field. You're now going to have to give up a first-rounder with as many teams as he's interviewing with. Are we convinced it's just a first-round pick? Or are you talking about your first and third and basically you having nobody to draft this year? So I think that that probably tilts it. Not that Sean can adapt. Not that Sean is not creative. Not that Sean is, would not be a, also a tremendous fallback. But I think just because of what, Mark, you would have to give up as well, I don't think it's a level playing field. Hey, Brock, Brock, there's there's two types of, like, I've said this about coaching, and I just want your opinion on the importance of these things, and, and you can add to this list if you want, but I've, I've talked about there being two types of fear. There's the biblical fear, well, the fear of the Lord, which is awesome reverence and respect, and I think a head coach needs that. The other thing is just straight up fear. Like you need to have some ability to, you know, to threaten people's jobs, if you will, mm-hmm. and, and to hold your coaching staff accountable. And if your coaching staff isn't getting the best out of its players, you know, as a coach, you're in trouble. Like you, you've got to be able to to wield that kind of that kind of authority, if you will. Mm-hmm. Are, are those like do those resonate with you? And, and what else would you add to it? Yeah, they do. I would add you have to be tremendously consistent in those ways. Two years I spent with Tony Dungy, did not raise, never swore, rose his voice twice in two years. Both times were separate incidents of players fighting, uh, in fighting, in, in training camp and everything else. And the second he raised his voice, man, it was, everything stopped. Everybody knew, like, oh. And then even some of the foulest, uh, <laughs> craziest, foul-mouthed coaches got in the meetings were like, see, how could you do that? How could you treat Coach Dungey like that? You know, like, you know, to watch, to watch them have that kind of, as you said, that, that reverence. But Tony surrounded himself with some not-so-choir boys. Right. And, and, and knew that, hey, that, that's not necessarily going to be my DNA, but I'm going to have to make sure that, that we have some good cop, bad cop and, and some guys that are willing to willing to bark. And that's why, you know, when I look at a Dan Quinn, who is a, a genuine, consistent, wonderful human being, builds players up, you know, really, I think, learned a lot of that from Pete Carroll in Seattle. But Dan's smart enough to know who he is, who he's not. I think he's smart enough to know what worked in Atlanta, what didn't. 
And again, why I go back to why I think he would put together a tremendous supporting cast. And oh, by the way, if last night was a job interview, mm. uh, I would say his crew Ooh. played pretty, pretty hard for him. Visit with Brock Hewitt. Brock, you hear a lot when we bring up Dan Quinn. Oh, I don't want the guy that blew a 28 to 3 lead in the Super Bowl. My response has always been, well, at least he was there up 28 to 3. A lot of guys never get in that position. But is it fair though to look at what happened? After that Super Bowl, uh, a good year following 10 and 6, but then things really bottomed out after that. Should that be held against Quinn? Well, yeah, I mean, I think you'd have to address that. That would be a concern. Uh, let's remember also who was calling plays in that 28-3 meltdown. And you, you sure wouldn't want him running your offense, right? I mean, he's, he's not doing very well out there in San Francisco and, and, uh, uh with the third straight QB and, and everything else. So, uh, you know, I think Mitch, I think Kyle and, and Matt Ryan, and they all take a, a share of that. It wasn't Dan Quinn. It wasn't Matt Ryan. It wasn't Kyle Shanahan. It was all of them, uh, in, in that Super Bowl. And I guess a pretty good quarterback on the other side. But yes, Mike, you're, you're going to have to address what happened there. Why did it fall apart? Uh, the, the lucrative contract you're paying Matt Ryan, the enormous contract to Julio Jones. I mean, those were your huge pieces of the, of the salary cap pie. And then you had to try to fit everything else around it and you know i think if you look at teams even sean payton's teams through the years you know once you pay your qb once you pay a few a few people man is it difficult to put that whole team together versus you know a little bit of what we're seeing in these playoffs where you haven't quite had to pay the piper yet and you can build a tremendous supporting cast a tremendous team see also san francisco right now and man that that that's a lot of fun football and on the other side of it when you get beat down by them like the seahawks did that's a pretty humbling thing as well uh brock let me ask you about first-time head coaches versus what we like to say not retreads but uh certified pre-owned coaches like what what's your <laughs> it's so what, what's your that's your point Zero point nine percent APR. Bingo! Right yes, yes. Let's go. <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> Sorry, certified pre-owned. Yes, love it. Yes. So, your your opinion on on which direction the Broncos should go? Obviously, they haven't had a lot of success with first timers here recently, right? Well, then what happens when Sean McVay walks in the room? Right. What, what, what happens if you're blown away? Because by all mm-hmm. accounts down in L.A., and Kevin Demoff's a friend of mine, and, and I've known Kevin for years and years and years. His dad was, was my agent. And, you know, I know I'm pretty good account that it wasn't like, oh, Sean McVay's going to be our guy. But he walked in, and it was done. Uh, you know, left the room for a little bit, and all of a sudden, I think the, the power brokers and, and the decision makers looked at each other like, are we prepared to do this? You know, this 30-something, I mean, this is it. This is the guy. And then, you know, when Sean got Wade Phillips on the phone for him, you know, because that was one of the questions. Well, you know, you're one of these, you know, genius offensive guys. What are you going to do on defense? And he said, that good question. Here you go. Here, let me put Wade on speakerphone. Right? And already had that nailed as well. And just further solidified, like, you're going to be the guy. So I, I think you've got to be open-minded enough that if a Sean McVay overwhelms you, if a D'Amico Ryans is so overwhelming, or whomever it may be as a first-timer in this cycle, that you're just you're blown away, you, I, I, I don't think you can go in and say, yep, just can't do it, though. Can't do it because we have to have certified pre-owned. If that new vehicle has the right numbers, and the, whether it's a lease or, you know, they come down and knock five grand off MSRP, 
Uh, let's let's be open minded to take a new vehicle. Hey, stay well. away from my turf, okay? Uh, sorry, you're you're starting to get a little. You're starting to make me a little uncomfortable right now, okay? Okay, you know the bullet points almost too good. So uh, okay. stand down there, Brock. Hey, I got Harness out of family out there in Puyallup. Don't you? Worry okay, about all right, Brock. You were de- who is the Seattle Seahawks quarterback week one next year? Yeah, I think that's going to be Geno Smith. Are they going to get? They're going to get a deal. They're going to pay him. Yeah, I, you heard Gino post-game say, I know where I came from. I know I'd have been out of this league if it wasn't for this team, and I'm ready to repay them. So I don't think you're going to get a total family discount, but you're going to get some dollars off. I don't think he's going to hold their feet to the fire for every last deal. Uh, would he make it a little more incentive-rich as he did this year, where he hit every incentive and three and a half turned to seven million? So maybe it is, you know, on paper, uh, 20 million, but if I hit incentives, I can make 35 million if I go to the Pro Bowl again or lead you to the playoffs again. I don't know how all that's going to be structured, but when both sides want to be there, when both sides know what they have, and in Gino's case, when he knows, and he watched it, and he knows that I've got to make sure I leave enough in the kitty for everybody else around me, you know, whether that is the Jimmy Garoppolo or a little the Tom Brady school of thought, like, hey, let's do this in a way. You take care of me. I'll make more money than I've ever made. I think we added it up in his 10 years. He's made now with incentives something like $16 million. So he's going to make more in one year than he's made in his entire decade. I think you feel pretty good about that situation. And if they can lock that up with 5, 20, 37, and 52 in the draft, they're going to have a lot of ammo to work with to build that team. Darn, I was hoping it was going to be Drew. Well, listen, I I know that they really liked Drew and they felt like, you know, they felt like that Drew really, truly had never been coached. Um, And that's that sounds derogatory, but hasn't been coached to the point where they didn't have people that actually believed in him. And I think that's fair. I think that's a fair statement here in Denver, what happened to Drew. So they really liked Drew. But do you think they'll also go after a quarterback? Do you think they'll they'll draft themselves a young guy? I don't, I don't know. I mean, we're real early in that process. If they love somebody, if they love Will Levis, like they love Josh Allen and Mahomes, I think I told you that. Schneider would have drafted both of those guys. They've been around and they obviously weren't, went in the, what, 7 and 12 in the draft, and the Seahawks were late teens or 20s at that time, year after year, but he loved both of those guys. So if Schneider is overwhelmed and blown away, by a Will Levis or someone like that in this draft, then then yeah, yeah, I think they could. But as we sat down with Pete yesterday in our season-ending interview, uh, he was as blunt and honest with what they don't have as I've ever heard them. They don't have big, fast dudes up front that can run and hit. They don't have front seven that can compete in their division with San Francisco. Gino could compete. Their front seven couldn't, and that will be what they address, I think, throughout the draft and free agency. All right, Brock. Thank you very much. Talk to you next week. There he goes. Brock Heward from Brock and Salk on Seattle Sports 710, courtesy of Elite Sportsbook.